Coming up on this episode of Tar Heel Runners. The screen did its little gyration and it popped up. Congratulations, you're in the Umstead 100. I looked over at my son and said, I got to run 100 miles. And Anthony looked back at me and said, boy, you're stupid. <laughs> if your running store owner isn't willing to go out and run a 10-mile loop with you in his blue jean, you might want to look for a new store. <laughs> I write my story. I write my destination. I write the final chapter of this life. And that's the same for everybody. We all have some mental image of ourselves that sometimes somebody else put on us. You decide if you accept that mental image. But don't limit yourself because of somebody else's words. You know, you, you write your book, you write your story. Thanks for listening to this podcast with Brian Burke. He is an incredible ultra runner who lives in North Carolina. He shares his stories about how he got into the ultra running world and just became a runner, first of all. And now uh, he's starting to dabble in some writing. And he mentions that in this podcast. He's very humble about it. But I went onto Amazon following this recording and picked up one of his books. And I absolutely love it. It's been a great read. So just go on over to Amazon and search for Brian Burke. Check out some of his running books. Um, It's just really good stuff. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs> hey, Brian, thanks for, uh, for joining today. And um, uh, I see you're, you're working from home as well, and uh, as many of us are right now. So thank you for taking time uh, out of your schedule to, to sit and talk about um, you know, running in North Carolina. That's what, that's what this podcast is about. And so we're excited about that. Tell us a, a little bit about you. All right. Well, again, thank you for having me. It's an honor. Again, this is the new norm, I guess, or who knows how long it'll last. But yeah, I'm working from home. Uh, again, I'm, I'm Brian Burke. I'm a transplant, uh, originally from Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, but by way of the military, the U.S. Air Force, after 20 years of traveling and moving around, uh, my wife and I, somehow we found a little town called Bun, North Carolina, a little lake community called Lake Royal. Got absolutely no ties to the area whatsoever. We just found it on a Google search and came down here and just kind of fell in love with it. It's a little community. It's a, they call it a gated community, but it's, it's only a gated community if you're honest, I guess. And uh, it's got a nice uh, public lake on it, four and a half mile lake. But what drew me here was the 65 miles of uh, community roads, which told me I could do a whole lot of running and not get run over much. So uh, uh, we moved down here, I guess, about four years ago. And uh, uh, during the work week, I live in Richmond, Virginia, but on the weekends, Bun, North Carolina's home, Lake Royal's home, and uh, I do a lot of racing and running in uh, Umstead uh, and all around North Carolina. Just just fell in love with the, with the state and oh, uh, enjoy Bun, where What's Bun near? Uh, Wake Forest is the closest big town people know about. Okay. Yeah, Rocky Mount, Lewisburg. Okay. That's, yeah, yeah that's I, I'm not familiar with it. That's uh, Yeah, you f- sounds like you found a gym. It is. It's kind of funny because it's a, it's a lake community that's still semi-affordable. You know, I don't have a lake front home. We got a lake view home. Uh, but when I looked, we saw the prices and everything. That's why we bought it ahead of time. I was like, we can't pass this up. And in the five years that we've been here, people are starting to find out about the place. And, you know, so far, property values are going in our favor. So we're real happy about it. That's awesome. And you get to, you get to run a lot. Uh, and the, so I'm taking it, I'm guessing it's like rural ro- roads and so forth that are around well, there. Yeah, no, they're, they're improved roads they are asphalt roads, but they're like, it's a, like, it is a gated community. Uh, 
So the homeowners association maintains all the roads, but they're, you know, double wide asphalt, no shoulder, uh, but regular community style roads, I guess you would say. And there's like 65 miles of them. So you can, you can do a lot of different loops and laps and they're deceivingly tough. There isn't too much flat out here. And, uh, you know, a 10 mile loop around the lake gets you about 800 foot of elevation, which doesn't sound like much but it's a constant up and down, up and down and up and down. There isn't much flat, maybe a mile and a half flat out of the entire loop. Yeah. I'm, I'm jealous. I'm in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. And so everything is flat. Um, I have to find a bridge to get a hill or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, I understand. Um, tell me, uh, when did you first start running? Yeah, that's kind of a funny story. You know, I wasn't much of an athlete in high school and all that. And I actually got kicked off the uh, JV football team because I couldn't run a mile. You know, because back then, the only thing I knew was to run as fast as you could. And then I blew up. But uh, running came kind of later in life. I guess I was about 30. Uh, I was in the military and we had the the weigh-in every year. And it was during my chubby boy years. I kind of got overweight. I'm only 5'7", so if you put a couple extra pounds on me, it shows. And uh, I did a, a remote assignment to Thule, Greenland, which is on the top of the world. There is no downtown Thule. It's just Thule, Greenland. Uh, when I weighed in, I was about 30 pounds overweight. And a young airman that weighed me in looked at me and says, well, Sergeant Burke, aren't you a big boy? I said, dang, that's the first time anybody's ever called me a big boy. Mm. And I uh, just said, I got to get in shape. I'm too young, and too young, but yet getting old to, to be overweight. So uh, I got on the treadmill, could barely do two miles. At the end of that year remote, I was uh, getting ready for my first marathon and ran 21 miles on the treadmill. Uh, again, Thule is just about on the uh, North Pole. It's 600 miles north of the North Pole and 600 miles above the Arctic Circle. So the only thing you can do for the majority of the year is run on the treadmill. And uh, I went from two miles to almost 21 on the treadmill. <laughs> That's a long That's way on the treadmill. That is a long way on a treadmill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's that started awesome. the whole journey. That was 2000, 2001. Uh, and then I went from Thule to uh, England right at 9-11. I was actually in my mom's home in Erie, Pennsylvania when the towers went down. My family, we were moving from the remote tour was just me, but the family had gotten back together to go to England. And it was on that morning we were waiting on airlift out of Baltimore when the towers came down. Mm. And then uh, we were delayed two weeks. And then I got to England right into a special operations assignment which, you know, special ops guys are the first in and it was rock and roll from there. Four years of constant go and uh, four years of doing some good to the, for the world. Well, thank you for your service. Yeah. I appreciate it. Best years of my life. It made, made me who I am today. Uh, that kind of delayed the marathon cause that was 2001 and I didn't run my first marathon until 2005. A little busy, a little distracted. Yeah. Uh, yeah. but I ran the, uh, Shakespeare marathon in a little town called, uh, uh, Stratford-upon-Avon. Uh, that was my first marathon in England. And uh, it was 2005, April 2005. And it's just been a wild ride since. So how many marathons or how many races have you run? Do you have any ideas? Yeah, I'm a statistics guy, I guess. I got an Excel spreadsheet that I created way back in the day. I still manually, I mean, I do Strava and all that crap as well, but I still manually every morning put my runs on my little log book and I got them broken down by distance and times and all that but i'm just tickling about 100 and i guess 110 races official races uh about 30 or so or, or marathons i lost track there 63 or ultras so you see i've i've kind of skewed the whole game i don't 
run much that's shorter than a marathon or an ultra anymore. And I haven't for years. Yeah. How did you end up in the marathon in the ultra marathon world? Yeah, that's a crazy story too. When I got to England and I, and I hadn't run my first marathon yet, I met a gentleman named Garth Peterson and he was the local runner, you know, and I introduced myself and I said, Hey, I'm Burke. I'm trying to train for a marathon. I hear you're the running dude. And he says, Oh yeah, yeah. I run these ultra marathons. He says, Oh, is that just really cool marathons? Is that what that is? He says, Oh no, no, no. And he explained the whole ultra marathon thing to me. And I said, dude, you're crazy. No way in the world. Never do it. Never gonna. Don't talk to me again. See you later. And uh, Garth helped me train up for my first marathon. And after running that, I said, definitely, I'm never running another marathon again. And I don't know what that ultra crap is, but I'm never doing that. And it kind of stayed that way till about 2000, I'm going to say 10, I guess. And I picked up a little flyer at the local running store that said a 24-hour race. It was the Virginia 24-hour ultra run against cancer. And that just kind of called to me like, I wonder if I could keep moving for a full day for 24 hours. So I signed up. Um, I'm running mentor now, George Nelson. Uh, when I asked him if you know if I could get in the race, and he said, "Well, if you have the money, I'm happy to take it." I said, "All right." So I showed up at that ultra with absolutely no idea what I was doing. Un probably undertrained. I I just finished my. I guess it was my third marathon, Richmond. Thinking, well, if I can run a marathon, I can keep running all day long. Uh, had no idea what I was doing. Did 52 and a half miles. Completely destroyed myself. And then somehow fell in love. <laughs> 52 miles is still uh, extremely respectable, but I'm, I'm sure that was really hard with uh, kind of the, the lack of training that you know, know about now. Yeah, it's a whole other mindset. Like I said, you know, the race started, you know, and I went out in my normal marathon pace, you know, and all of a sudden people were walking. And I was like, wow, these people are walking and I'm running. And it was like two or three hours, not two or three hours, maybe an hour in or something. And all of a sudden I was on the leaderboard because I'm still running and I'm running at, you know, maybe a four hour marathon pace and I'm passing people and my name's climbing up the running board. And I'm thinking, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. Holy <laughs> crap. I'm going to win this race. And then at about the five hour mark, the wheels came apart. Just, I realized that I had no idea what I was doing. And then it became a battle of survival, you know, uh, but then a whole learned the whole run walk routine, how you got to fuel yourself, how you got to take care of your feet, clothing. You know, I got, the, I had never had a blister one through marathon training. And at that ultra, I just destroyed my feet. They look like hamburger. Mm. Just terrible. It sounds like it. Oh, geez. But it, it was a learning deal and uh, it's a different culture. But even leaving that race, I said, I would never do it again. And then I signed up the next year and then I signed up for another ultra. And that was almost 20 years ago. Here I am again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. That's crazy. That's awesome. Um, and you, and this year you were signed up for, was it Umstead you were signed up for Yeah, in 2020? Yeah. Yeah. That was gonna be my third Umstead. And that was my first hundred. I think it was 2013 is when I ran it for the first time. And, you know, it was the natural progression from the 24 hour races, drinking the Kool-Aid to then the 50 K's, you know, then I worked myself up to like 50 milers and I still thought I'm never doing this hundred mile stuff. 24 hours is hard enough. And at that time, my longest run would have been 75 miles, I guess. And I just could not see going another 25 miles. So I never, never, I'll never do it. I'll never do it. And then two friends had run a hundred and I thought, man, if they can do it, I got to be able to do it. And as a joke, you're in, in Cleveland going to a football game and the Umstead registration was open for 2013. I think it was. And I said, well, let me see if I can 
get into the sign-in page. So I got into the sign-in page because they were talking about how hard it was. And I said, well, I'm in the sign-in page. Let me see if I can get a spot. And I threw my name in there and I thought, certainly it'll kick me out. Any minute now, it's going to say, no thanks. I put in my credit card number and I said, well, let's try this thing. It'll time out any, any second now and hit the enter button. And the screen did its little gyration and it popped up. Congratulations, you're in the Umstead 100. I looked over at my son and I said, I got to run 100 miles. And Anthony looked back at me and said, boy, you're stupid. <laughs> and that was it. It does take a little bit of that for, for, for those of us who are in the ultra world anyway. Oh, yeah. that's funny. Yeah, that, that was, was awesome. Progression. That was jumping from 50 miles. And then George Nelson, I mentioned as I was training up for Umstead, uh, he wanted to run the old graveyard 100K race. He had never run 100K. And it looked like a great training opportunity for me. That was in March. Umstead was in April. And I said, well, all right, George, you know, you, you've helped me with training. I'll run the 100K with you. Because he's a little older than I am. His wife was nervous with him being all alone. I said, I'll run with you, George. That way your wife's happy. You feel safe. We can run it together. And so George and I ran step for step the old Graveyard 100. We finished in the exact same time. And that was kind of neat. You know, and it, it is. I led up to Umstead. And he came out and paced the last lap for me at Umstead. My first oh, on, on that, that following April, he came out. Yeah, yeah, sure did. That That's is cool. So he's so is he is he still helping you with your training and so forth? Uh, we're still in touch. He's still a, an important running figure in, in my life. You know, I probably sounds uh, egotistical to say I'm maybe advanced where he was at, but he's older than me, so he's kind of slowing down. And uh, he puts on the 24-hour race, and he's recently retired, and he's moving to Arizona. So we don't get to run as much together anymore, but we're still in touch. And when I have questions and stuff, I obviously reach out to him. But yeah. uh, you know, he's—I think he told me he gave up on the hundreds because just you know, again, it, there's a point in your life where you say it's just too much abuse, you know. Yeah. But he still yeah. does the 24-hour race. It got canceled for this year. Well, not canceled, postponed till November. Uh, but we're going to run it in November, but he always runs at least 50 miles at his 24 hour race. And this is the, uh, I'll say the 15th year and he's raised a lot of money for the American cancer society. So he's done real good in the running community and giving back. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, 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 that's fantastic. Well, I saw you, I learned about you this year because I saw somehow or another, we we're on, I don't know if it's the East coast trail running group on Facebook or, I, that might be that group. I don't know, but your name came across my my feed and I saw the picture that you had of what you had number one because Umstead canceled. And so you said you had done all your training, so you were going to run anyway. Yeah. Uh, how did how did that unfold? How did that idea come about? And tell us a little bit about how that that idea started. Yeah, as you know, and, and again, I guess I'm lazy. Um I don't like the training cycle. Lazy. You run a hundred milers. Come yeah. on. It's not lazy. <laughs> well, you just see a lot of people, you know, they gear up for a, an A race and they go through a training cycle and then they kind of level out and then they get into another training cycle for another race. I, that's never worked for me. I get lazy, I guess. So I'm, I feel like I'm always in a training mode. So I'm always building for something. Uh, my big race for this year is Leadville trail 100. Uh, there's a story mm -hmm. behind that one too, but, so I planned the whole year around Leadville and Umstead's an important race to me as my first hundred plus the community that it that's involved there. I've fallen in love with the community. I like the people. Uh, I like the race and I just wanted to run it again. So I said, well, Umstead's a good training race for Leadville. So I'm doing all of this training and then it was a, 
I've trained for Umstead and I'm training for Leadville. They can cancel it if they want. I'm running, I'm running something. <laughs> uh, and I got, I'm somebody who's got to have a race on the calendar. If not, I grab a box of Twinkies and Ho-Hos and I'll be happy to sit on the couch. So with Umstead kind of going away, I said, I got to have a benchmark to shoot for. And it was, well, I got this lake community. It's a 10 and a quarter mile loop to do a lap around the lake from my house. And I said, huh, why don't we just do it there? And uh, I actually invited a couple other folks to come out and run it with me. But then in the preceding days, as the virus got more out of hand, uh, I didn't feel comfortable with inviting anybody down. I didn't feel comfortable with breaking the, the rules about, you know, gathering. So we, we kind of had to turn them away. And they did their own 100-mile uh, race up in Virginia Beach. Uh, so I, I just wanted to get into miles. And then as I posted it, and again, sometimes I post on the Internet just to keep me accountable to myself. So when I said, hey, folks, I'm running 100 miles, hold my, hold my Gatorade, it, it made me accountable to do it. And uh, it was tough. <laughs> who, was, who did you find? What, I mean, since, since those folks couldn't come for social distancing reasons, and at that, at that point we really weren't sure about a whole lot of, of you know, what those rules and stuff needed to look like just to keep everyone safe. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing family helped out. Were there neighbors that kind of came out and cheered you on? And what was that, what was that like there in your community? Yeah. Once it, I, we had a whole support system lined up, I had pacers lined up. I had uh, some other runners lined up. We had the, a lot of people in the community lined up. And once it became where the virus seemed a little out of hand and I didn't feel comfortable subjecting other people, I we canceled everything. I said, don't come, don't come. And then I turned to my wife and kind of said, it's all on you. You know that, right? <laughs> and thankfully, my in-laws were visiting. They come every year from Minnesota and they spend a couple months with us. And it's just during that time. And I asked my mother-in-law, Rosie, I said, you know, will you help me? Will you help Michelle help me? And uh, obviously, they were all in. And uh, I guess I was a little more confident in myself. I thought, well, 10 and a half, a 10 and a quarter mile loop with one aid station, I can do this. And uh I put an aid station in my house. I had food and water and all that kind of stuff set up and every lap would come around to my house and then I would leave again. But I didn't take into account how much I ate off the other tables. Like at Umstead, you have three other little aid stations uh, other than the main one. A couple of right. them are manned and one is fully manned. And I didn't take into account how much little food or how much additional food I would eat off those additional tables. I thought with one here at my house, it would be good enough. And later on in the day, and that's a story I'll tell you in itself, it wasn't enough. And I, you know, I kind of paid the price for it, but we got it done. But bottom line, it was my wife. And, uh, but then as the word in the community got out, what is this crazy guy doing? All of a sudden the community's putting up their own aid stations for me, which I was real thankful for. And, uh, people cheered me on and, uh, a little girl came out and she drew a, a chalk finish line in my driveway and the neighbors <laughs> signed on it and everything. So it got a little out of hand, but, but that's fine. Yeah. It was really good. Good day. It was tough, but it was a good day. So, so you had, so, I mean, it sounds fun that other people kind of saw, they saw what was happening they kind of joined in. Um, but yet you also learned about how you needed to kind of, I guess, carry more food or just eat more. Or, so the high for, that's a good lesson for Leadville, honestly, Sure. probably sure. For, for you to keep in mind. Unfortunately, I didn't learn it until it was critical. Uh, and, I, and I had a goal, you know, my fastest Umstead was uh, 2136. Uh, so I looked at my training and looked at the lake and said, you know, I need, I, I should be able to go sub 20. Honestly, I, I felt like I could do that. So that's how I set off the day. I started at five in the morning, 
and I was on a sub 20 hour pace through 50 miles and then it went wrong. It got hot. Then I realized I had fallen behind with nutrition and up until the last mile and a half of the, the fifth loop, I felt great as, as you typically always do. You feel great up until the next step and then the world comes to an end and it was all I could do to get back to my house at the conclusion of 50 miles. And then literally I was, it was critical. I couldn't control my heart rate. I couldn't control my breathing. You know, I couldn't communicate with my wife what I needed. You know, she was asking me, well, what's wrong? What can I do? And I, I just, I couldn't formulate the, the words to say, I got to eat. I got to get food in me. Mm. Uh, so I literally collapsed on the floor of our garage, you know, just laying there. Of course, she's uh, hovering over me. What do I do? What do I do? And I'm thinking, I don't know what to do. I'm in a bad spot. I mean, that was the worst bunk I have ever experienced in my life. And then by chance, uh, a local running store owner, running try outfitters, uh, Brian Staffy, just by chance, he was in the community. Uh, his shop's closed, so he was delivering some shoes, and he knew what I was doing, so he just decided to pop in and visit me. Well, he popped in right as I'm laying on the floor of my garage, just about to, th to throw it in. I mean, I was having those thoughts, and my wife said, Brian, what are you doing here? And you got to help Brian. And he come in and he said, what's wrong with you? And, and just, I guess hearing his voice and realizing that somebody outside of my community who I didn't want to fail in front of, and I didn't want to fail in front of the community gave me enough of a kick in the butt where I was able to get up into a chair. I was able to finally get out. I need some food. I got some food in me. I started to get my, my heart rate down a little bit. My breathing came down. And then in about 15 to 20 minutes, I was able to function again. And then Brian, now he's dressed in blue jeans a t-shirt and a long shirt looks at my wife and says, grab the pizza. We're leaving. And I said, so let's go, Brian. Let's go. He said, so he's walking down my street with two slices of pizza and I got my water bottle and we're hoofing it down the road and I'm eating. And as I'm going down the street, I'm coming back alive. And I get to the end of the street, make a left to start the loop. And I said, right, Brian, I'm good. I'm going to make it. You, you can take off now. He says, no, I'm going with you. I said, Dude, you're in blue jeans. He said, that's all right. I'm all right. So Brian, Staffy, he run walks the entire 10 and, a, 10 and a quarter mile loop with me. And during that loop, then I kind of get my second wind. I get the food in me. I get my, I realize how far behind in my nutrition I fell and then was able to recover and then was able to finish. But it's really a testament to him. You know, I don't mean this to be a commercial for his shop, but if your running store owner isn't willing to go out and run a um, 10 mile loop with you in his blue jeans, you might want to look for a new store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I, honestly, I mean, you probably can't see as you're telling that story. I'm just like, oh, I wish I had, I know I had known somebody like that, you know, during hard times. And that's, um, you know, I kind of get a little teary, a little emotional, which is weird. But how cool is it that, I mean, he wasn't planning on running anything. He probably had, you know, just regular, probably had a pair of, you know, shoes, not even his, his normal running shoes. Oh, uh, yeah, right. He does run a store, so he probably had good shoes. But yeah, 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 brand new pair. But yeah, and that's you know, and I'm 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 fairly proud of the fact that you know I've only DNF'd two hundreds, and we'll talk about that in a bit because there's a story behind those. But most hundreds I go in, I, it's never failure is never an option, and I'm pretty proud of the fact that I, I know what to do, and I guess I was overconfident in I'm in I'm on home territory, I'm just doing what I do every day. And it didn't really click that it's still a hundred miles. And again, mm -hmm. I was hoofing it. I wasn't just running. I wasn't dogging it. I was trying to get a goal. I was trying to get a PR and I was on target. 
So I was burning more energy than I had. And I, I believe the day got hotter than it really should have gotten. And all that heat coming up off the asphalt got me. And uh, this is, like I said, this lake is a tough course. I mean, it doesn't have the overall elevation, but there isn't much that's flat. So you're in a constant state of up and down and up and down and up and down. And it just all climaxed in my garage at that moment. And I was completely deficient on calories, dehydrated. Uh, but I was able to stay in the game. You know, I look back and I, you know, I think I would have kept rolling because I, I remember prior to Brian Gittner's, I can't fail in front of this community. I just can't, I can't fail in front of my wife and my in-laws. So I think I would have been able to get myself rolling, but I can't underestimate or under appreciate what Brian did for me, you know, and that's what ultra runners do. Yeah. You, you speak of the community and that's absolutely that what unfolded right before you. Um, yeah. wh what was, what was your time? If you were, do you remember? Yeah, I do. I finished in a, uh, 2439, 102.5 miles. That is fantastic. Yeah. And that's, um, and, and again, I'm pretty proud of in most hundreds. I don't spend very much time off my feet. I mean, my pit stops is I grab and go and that's where I was at up to the 50 point. So after the, the collapse, I would come in and I would sit and I would get a good solid food in me. So again, that's still a decent time, but I see the effect mm -hmm. that's slow for me, but I, I realized where I came from and, you know, I'm happy with it. You know, it was well earned. You talked about the, the DNFs from, from other races and you know, what, what did you learn from that? What was, what were the takeaways from those things? You yeah, said there was another story there. Yeah. The other, the other Leadville's my race, I guess, uh, somehow I've fallen in love with that race. I, I wrote a book about the, the race, a fictional story about it. Uh, so I, I, all the research and all the hours I put in learning about Leadville, the Leadville community, the Leadville story, the race itself, the course, all the details. And then I went out and ran it, uh, two summers ago. And, uh, that was my first DNF at a hundred. Now I'm an East coast guy. Leadville's a monster. You know, it's all above majorities above 10,000 feet. You got hope pass to deal with. And I trained and I trained and I trained, but I think I relied too much on my experience. I said, Hey, you know, I'm normally finishing 21 hours. I got 30 to do Leadville. I'll crip, I'll crawl in at 29, 59 and be happy. There's nothing that can get on the East coast. There's nothing you can do to get ready to face hope pass with 40 miles on your legs. And mm. hope pass is a 3,600 foot climb, which is almost straight up a 3,600 foot descent just to turn around and do it all over again. So you're, you know, in 20 miles, you're climbing up and down almost constant. And I was an hour and a half to the good on all the cutoffs until I faced Hope Pass and Hope Pass ripped my heart out. I just could not move fast enough. I didn't eat enough. I realized that I was following my normal East Coast thing. Everything was clockwork like East Coast. Give me this, give me that, give me this. And I felt great up until about a hundred yards up hope pass. And then again, it just, the world was coming undone and there was nothing I could do. Hopeless aid station was, you know, two and a half miles in front of me and there was just no way to recover and climb. I just couldn't move fast enough. And then on the backside of hope pass, uh, it's real steep. It's real narrow. I got mm -hmm. behind some people. Uh, sometimes when you're fatigued, the decisions you make, you don't realize in the moment or you're taking the easy way out. I was happy to fall in line when I should have passed people and got moving, but it was the fatigue telling me, you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be the guy bomb, you know, bombardeering down a hill and taking risks around people or, 
not pushing people out of the way, but you know, passing people, you don't want to be mm-hmm. that guy. Well, that was fatigue tell, tell, telling me to take the easy way out. Now, when I look back and I was like, I lost so much time on the backside of Hope Pass. I should have blasted past when I could. I should have took mm-hmm. advantage of the downhill and I, I made mistakes. And still I missed the cutoff by seconds at Twin Lakes. Seconds. Mm. <laughs> that's yeah and, and and you're and you're thinking the whole time just a few seconds I, if i had passed so and so just one person if i had passed them not out of arrogance just because it's we all run our own races and we and that's an overused phrase but it's so true when you're looking at a couple seconds for a cutoff that darn it you could have done it so um you said you wrote a book about that i'm not t- tell us about tell us the title of that book and how do we get a copy of that I, that yeah, was new to me i'm I, sometimes I feel bad always plugging a book. I'm just an amateur author. I'm untrained. I'm just a guy I've, I've written my whole life, but I was never brave enough to do anything with it. Kind of like my running. I, you know, I've always kind of wanted to be a runner, but I never, that, that stigma of that coach telling me or kicking me off the football team for not being an athlete stuck with me for years. It really wasn't until I was overweight and had to do something where I broke out of that shell. It's the same with the writing. You know, it was hard to break out of that shell. And I, I had this story of a runner in my mind that dealt with relationship problems, a lot of the backstory of the characters, my backstory, not completely, but a lot of it. So I had this story I wanted to tell. At the same time, I found out about Leadville and I realized there was a story in the Leadville race. So I wanted to tell this life story, this relationship story, along with a running story. You know, it's not a book about how to run Leadville. Uh, It's a book about life and relationships and overcoming and an introduction to the ultra world. A non-runner would read it and learn what we do and what we go through during a race, the mental battles, the physical battles. When you take your shoe off to put a rock, get a rock out and you dread putting it back on because of all the blisters. When you mentally want to quit, but you can't, it's that kind of a story, but it tells the side of the ultra runner. It's called Running to Leadville. It's on Amazon. It's, it's been out about four years now, I guess. Uh, I was real nervous about releasing it because, again, I'm not an accomplished ultra runner. I mean, I'm all right for me. And I told the story about this race, and I just wanted it to be accurate and true. And then when I went out and read Leadville, the race director, Marilee and uh, Ken, uh, the race director knew I was there, and they introduced us. And Marilee, she loved the book, which for an untrained author, you know, that was that was a, that was a that lifted my spirits and she read my book. She enjoyed it. It was accurate and true to the race. And uh, it's gone over fairly well. You know, it's, it's a decent story. That's awesome. I'll have to pick up a copy here. When we, when we finish up, I'll order a copy. I appreciate it, man. Give, give me something to read next week, right? There you go. Um, or whenever it gets here. Yeah, there you go. Um, uh, as we wrap up, final words for folks who are um, maybe just – starting running or just get, you know, uh, get maybe getting into the ultra world or just, you know, facing their own challenges. What would be your words of encouragement to them? Yeah, that you can do it. And again, sometimes, you know, because of life, you know, as I'm, I'm, as I'm older, I've learned that, you know, people tend to put us in boxes when we're young, when we're developing, like I said, that, you know, I think back a lot to that coach, you know, I still remember his name. Uh, kicking me off the team and, you know, telling me I would never amount to anything. When you're young, people tend to put you in a box or they label you. And sometimes we accept those labels. And I can only speak for me. I kind of did. You know, I accepted what that person told me and that influenced me for a long time. 
Now, going into the military helped me break out of that a little bit, but also running helped me break out of it and realize, no, that was somebody's uninformed opinion of me at that moment in time in my life. I write my story. I write my destination. I write the final chapter of this life. And that's the same for everybody. We all have some mental image of ourselves that sometimes somebody else put on us. You decide if you accept that mental image. And you also decide the image that you want. And I just decided that I'm going to be somebody that does something. Now I got some physical limitations. I can't say I'm going to go win Boston because I'm not, but I can run Boston. I'm not going to win Leadville. I'm here to tell you, maybe I'll never finish Leadville, you know, because I got compromised a little bit. I'm on the East coast. I can't go out and live in the mountains. So my training's kind of jacked up. So maybe I never finish Leadville. I never get that buckle, but you know what? I ran 60.5 of the hardest miles of Leadville. I ran the entire course of Leadville and I gave that race everything I had at that moment in time. Now I've, I've learned that that wasn't enough and I still had more in me. So if I get the opportunity, I'm supposed to go out here in August, but who knows what's going on with the world. Uh, mm. If I tow that line again, I'm going to get everything I got at that moment in time again. And each one of us can do that. We choose our destination. No one else does it for us. And again, not just, Ultra running has done so much to open my life with relationships. And I've run the Grand Canyon from the rim to rim to rim and back. Never would I have thought I've seen the sights that I saw running through that canyon and under my own power and uh, meeting the people, relationships. You know, I've got real good running friends that, honestly, I spend more quality time with them than I might with my wife. Because when you run a 100-mile race together, George Nelson, step for step for uh, it was 12 and a half hours. That's some quality time that you get to talk about life and truly get to know people. You know, uh, I don't know if my wife and I, we've ever had a 12 hour conversation. <laughs> I love her to death, but George and I shared that moment in time. Right. So that's awesome. Yeah. Wow. So if you're considering joining the running world, you don't have to be an ultra crazy person. You don't have to be a marathoner. You have to be what you decide you want to be, but don't limit yourself because of somebody else's words, you know, you, you write your book, you write your story. That is an awesome word and an awesome encouragement. And uh, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your highs and your lows. And um, we look forward to hearing, um, hopefully Leadville plays out this, this summer. And we look forward to hearing on the other side of this, how that worked out for you and your stories and all the things that you've learned because of it. So thanks for taking time to talk today. Outstanding, man. I really do appreciate it. It's an honor when you all ask me to be on your podcast and shows. I realize you're taking time out of your day. I value that. And uh, I value the chance to talk with folks about running, man. Appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. All right. Hey, can you do me a favor? Please subscribe to and review this podcast on your podcast app. This helps spread the word about all the incredible runners and places to run here in the Tar Heel State. I really appreciate it. And remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Tar Heel Runners. Until next time, get out there and run.